1: Right, we're we're rolling uh, here. I'm joined today by by Molly and Jeffrey Wansel of the podcast Blood Ties. We've had uh, a fabulous conversation so far uh, during all the technical difficulties that we've had getting set up. I really wish we were recording all that because the interaction Molly between you and your dad uh, is is
2: priceless. Why do you two guys work together? It's priceless to us as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: Thank you very much for having us, Bob.
2: Yeah, thank you for having
1: us.
3: We're very honored to be asked.
1: Yes, Oh, it is my my pleasure. So, so I want to get to know you guys a little bit uh, before we get into the podcast. Uh, and I'll start with you. I know you guys both live in London, um, and so the, and you guys are a, a father daughter team. Yeah, um, Molly, tell me about yourself. What what is what is your life? Who's where are you guys at right now? Whose house is that with all the books?
3: Right now, we're in Jeffrey's house. Um, in Bloomsbury in Central London, and I live in East London in a place called Dalston, which is sort of okay. yeah, a bit east east of here. Um, and as a for my day job, I'm a talent agent. I represent actors and uh, casting directors, and I also represent my dad, which is sort of how we ended up doing a podcast together, R- roughly. Yeah.
1: (laughs) That's really cool. So I heard heard you call him Jeffrey. Do you call your dad Jeffrey or do you just call him Jeffrey when you're on the podcast?
3: I call him Jeffrey and dad and all, yeah. And And other things. um, (laughs) I would refer, I refer to him as Jeffrey in conversation. I wouldn't, um, yeah. And sometimes call him Jeffrey too. Ever since he doesn't really like, like my, I have nieces and they're not allowed to call him grandpa or whatever. That's an absolute no. Um, He's not keen on that. I'm very
2: much not keen on Grandpa.
3: They call him Jeffrey too.
2: <laughs> the grandchildren call you Jeffrey. Yep, that's all. It that keeps you young. Yep, I'm doing my best. Yes,
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. We were we were we were just discussing uh, while we were while we were getting our audio stuff set up that uh, you know doing the podcast and doing this work is is the only thing that keeps Jeffrey out of the bars and
2: clubs and out terrorizing the town. Well, I think that might be a slight exaggeration, but not much of one. <laughs>
1: So, so Molly, you're you're uh, you're a talent agent. That's that's a that's a cool job. And then you represent your dad and and Jeffrey. You so you're actually born in Scotland. Does that mean you're Scottish or are you? Yes.
2: Yeah, I really am. Yeah, my mother and I were both born in Scotland. Well done, wonderful. (laughs) So my family are Robertsons from Scotland. Okay. So that that Lowland Scots. Yes. Yes. Yes, I'm yep. a lowland Scot too. I was born in Greenock on the edge of the Clyde on the way down the Firth. And uh, so I'm a my family's name was Cunningham, uh, and okay. they they come from Ayrshire. So it's the, on the west coast of the lowland bits of Scotland. I'm not a Highlander.
1: Um so what brought you down to London? Was it work or how did you end up coming No,
2: down there? no. My parents came back to London when I was 2. I haven't lived in Scotland since I was 2. Uh, but although they went back for a time When I was about 15 But I didn't like that much And mm-hmm. I came back to London So I've been really coming I've been in London most of my life I went to school here Went to university here Worked here And I'm still here I like cities
1: You like the city? So I was, I was telling you before When we were off the air That I've, I've only been to London once I was I did a UK speaking tour I think in 2017, 2018 Something like that And we did uh, Newcastle manchester edinburgh and then our final show was in london but we like rolled in at 7 p.m 20 minutes before the show and i did the show and then we left we were in the notting hill area uh, okay so that's all i saw i, I met idris alba when i was there
3: oh yeah he hangs out in west london
1: yes uh,
3: he like he dj's there and stuff notting hill is west yeah
1: he dj's
3: mm, idris Elba dj's a lot
1: oh wow so my 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 claim to fame is that I kind of punked out Idris Elba, not on purpose, <laughs> but because I don't I don't I'm, I'm the worst at pop culture ever. I don't know who anyone is. Most of my audience already heard the stories. I'll keep it real short. But I after the show we walked into some bar in Notting Hill, and as we're walking in, I don't do crowds. I don't like, and it was like a jam packed bar wall-to-wall people so i'm like my anxiety levels through the roof i don't like people that close to me and so we're walking in and some listeners said hey bob idris alba's here and he's, he was gonna he's gonna take a picture with you i didn't know who that i had no idea who that was all i know is i walked into the bar he introduced me idris alba came walking up to me to shake my hand and to take a picture and i knew i had a bunch of people in the back room that wanted to take pictures so I quick shook his hand and I was like, you know what, I'll catch you later, bud. I got to get. I've got a bunch of people back there that <laughs> want to take pictures. So, and, and he looked at me like, who the hell do you think you are? As I <laughs> wandered away, and then my wife later was was
2: very upset that
1: Probably I just walked thing. away from Idris Elba.
2: <laughs> I don't think there's anything to be ashamed of there, Bob. <laughs> yeah, don't worry about don't that. Don't worry Bob. about it. You haven't missed much. I don't well, listen, that. we've all done that in various times. <laughs> <laughs>
1: right. <laughs> so, so you, Jeffrey, you have you have quite a work record. You you've been a columnist, a reporter, editor for a newspaper, been radio, published books. You've you've you made uh, documentaries. Uh, t- t- tell me about your career.
2: Oh gosh, I, I don't think you have enough. How time long for have you that. got? <laughs> I mean, I've been doing this fifty five years. You know, it's a long, long time to be. Uh... Making making uh, up words and uh, putting them on paper and sometimes putting them on film. I've done all kinds of things. But I started as a, a trainee on the Times in London. And then I've just gone from there. Yes, I've worked for lots of newspapers and I still review books for the Daily Mail, review crime and thrillers. But now mostly I make true crime documentaries. Lots and lots and lots of true crime documentaries. So you've made
1: it. So I, I know that you you did um, was a, a CBS reality original called Murder by the Sea. That one was you, right?
2: Yep, that was me. I've also done a, a an absolute shed load of Britain's most evil killers, world's most evil killers. I think I'm now on 130. Um, and I've got and another number 10. you
1: just gave for that. Was the number you just gave for that a shitload? Is that how many? No, a shed load. Right <laughs> I, I, I am conscious that we are recording this. Uh, a, sh- a shed load, yes. <laughs> <I don't know.
2: laughs>
1: See, here in the states, we call that a sh- we call that a shitload and or a plethora.
2: No, is, is I, I wouldn't meanings. be doing that. No, I'm not. I'm, plethora yeah. is probably beyond me. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: so, so what, what, now are any of those all those doc- documentaries you've done are any of those available to like U.S. audiences? Or are yes, they all like, a all UK
2: all, TV? Of, all the world's most evil, Britain's most evil killers are very much in the United States um don't think murder by the sea is but my goodness me the number of the number of responses I get and from people in the states writing to me saying that was a fascinating mm-hmm. program you know or that was a great show so I know it's out there and it's in fact been oh it's all over the world it's uh it's in Europe uh, and it's I think some of it's now in Asia so yeah I've done a lot of that a lot and which I've enjoyed I mean it was the, it, listen, I got to the end of my career. I thought, well, that's the end of everything. But now I've got, I have seem to be busier than ever.
3: When was the end of your career? I'm not sure. Hmm.
2: Probably about 20 <laughs> years ago.
1: <laughs> it sounds to me like you must have a really good agent to keep busy like
2: that. Yeah, Yeah, I've got a really good agent. I think. <laughs>
3: Definitely <laughs> didn't get to the end of your career. You'd no, never stop yeah. working. He no, I'm, I, don't,
2: I don't. I like working. I really like, I love what I do. I've always been very lucky. I really loved it. And I love, I love the podcast. I mean, genuinely, I said to Mo on a, on a podcast not that long ago, of all the things I've done, it's almost the thing that I'm proudest of, you know, because crikey, it's from a standing start four and a half years ago. It was Molly's idea. And she said, Daddy, we should do a podcast. And we did a podcast, and here we are. It's amazing. Quite amazing.
1: That's also, so, yeah, the podcast starts in 2017. Uh, so, so, Molly, it's your idea. How you, Where would you come up with the idea and, and the format and all that?
3: So, basically, so Jeffrey and I have lunch every Saturday together, and we've been having lunch together, I mean, at that point, 15 years, you know, now 20 years, we have lunch every Saturday. And because he works in – true crime and because he has written a lot of biographies about um, serial killers and like he sort of veered into true crime a long time ago and I have like a natural interest for it. Um, We always ended up talking about crime in some way, maybe just what was happening in the news or like had we talked about sort of the story. And then I got into podcasts and I started listening to true crime podcasts because I like them. And I was listening to My Favorite Murder, which obviously I'm sure you and all your listeners know. But the set, the mm-hmm. setup is not dissimilar, right? The two people talking about murder. And I was like, oh, I think this would be really good for dad because I would love it if dad, everyone could hear dad because he's so good at telling stories and he's so knowledgeable. And this is a really good format for, for me to, the plan was for me to just sort of publicize him <laughs> and, and then sort of uh-huh. leave it. But um, I sort of got myself tied into it somehow. So I was like, why don't we do this together sort of constructed over the idea that we meet every, eat up every week and have a chat and often we talk about murder and so we're just sort of bringing people into our conversation. So no. Jeffrey is he tells the stories and I ask the questions that hopefully you would want to ask as a listener if you were with us and, and you were also listening to him tell the story.
2: And the great benefit Bob is that it is I, a big generational benefit in other words I have a lot of molly brings me a lot of insights from her generation and so there's an enormous benefit to me to have that extra female input and also generational difference input that's what makes it i think very special because not many fathers and daughters actually do true crime together
1: yeah i wouldn't think so and that's a great point that you span generations gender like you're 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 kind of the i've 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 listened and it's a great listen i love i love the format but you're kind of like The voice of the listeners, Molly, that you're, you're, you're kind of asking the questions because I mean, you represent 78% of true crime podcast audiences,
3: ladies.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Which are women. Yeah. Yeah. Like 78% of the audience of true crime podcast are women. Um, And so you do good. We just recently had truth and justice added a woman to our Friday follow-up episodes and it was, it just kind of happened by accident, but it's like the response has been phenomenal because we always had in our follow-up episodes, three men you know breaking down what we think about everything and as you know Jeffrey what what do we know no
2: <laughs> we know i, 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 I would i would agree and i think it's a terrific idea you know the molly brings an insight that i don't have and she brings an experience that i don't have and that mm-hmm. means that we are able to span more generations and also to have a many of the crimes we talk about are committed against women not all of course mm-hmm. But many, and I think it's very important, especially in these times, that the voice of the victims and the voice of women is heard loud and clear. So that that adds dimension to me.
1: It certainly does. And and so so Molly, you've you got this gr- this bright idea about a podcast. You talked Jeffrey into doing the podcast.
3: Yeah, and then I had to work out how to do it. <laughs>
1: yes, right. Yeah. So how would you tackle that?
3: <laughs> so. I outsourced, obviously, because that's what all smart people do. I <laughs> at work, I went up to some of the really bright young people that I work with, and well, like, and I said, "I want to do a podcast. Who do you know who can help me?" And I, one of the younger people at my work, had a friend who she was at university with, who worked at Radio Four and also had a podcast, and so we just got them to come on and help us produce it so we get so we we have a producer now it's actually the woman i asked for help in the first place who does it and we got i have a friend you know it's one of those things i have a friend who has a brother who helped us sort of sort out the sound just about because it was a bit dodgy at first we just uh, we just begged begged and borrowed for help basically and yeah we we, somebody else i i record the stuff here with dad in this this setup as you can see literally in his living room and then I send the, for, the the audio file off, and my producer puts it like actually puts it onto the into the world. So I don't know how that works because I work. <laughs> I mean, because I work full time in quite a difficult job, and having an extra uh, side hustle as a podcast is also a lot. So I can't do all of it, but I do my best. She does a great job, Bob.
2: Yeah, I just
1: recently learned. I feel for you because I just recently learned, literally this week how much I don't know because I've had the same editor since we started the show and, and he's moved on to other opportunities And we just brought on a brand new editor, Kelly Barron's Brink. She hosts the true crime IRL podcast. And I'm like, yes, yeah, so I'll meet with Mike and I'll pass everything off to Erica. And it'll be a smooth transition. Then I realize I don't know how to do 80% of what Mike <laughs> does. I can't show her how to do this stuff. I, I can't no, do any percent of what I do. Okay. <laughs> your job is to sit down and talk,
2: right? Yeah, that's it.
1: Well,
3: I also, I don't, I don't have to do any prep for the podcast, right? I come in blind. I mean, some of the stories obviously I already know. There's certain true crime stories that, but oftentimes we do ones that I don't know, and I don't have to do any research. Jeffrey prepares the story, so his work is very much in the preparation and the telling of the stories in mine, I don't have to do any prep in advance of coming in here and Oh, that's interesting.
1: So, so your your reactions and questions on the podcast, Molly, are, are those are live, organic. That's the first time you've heard the material.
2: Yep, yep. Oh, absolutely. I thought you were. We've just always a really believed. Good actress. I, I, we've always believed <laughs> that, it, that the spontaneity is another thing that we get a lot of reactions, Bob. You know, people say it's so nice to hear you talking to each other as though it's which it would be you know, across the living room or around the dining table or wherever it may be. It's Mm -hmm. supposed to be spontaneous. I wouldn't want it any other way. I'm very keen that if you do any kind of storytelling, and that's basically what I see that I'm doing, you don't want it to be as if it's been written down for you. You want it to come from the heart. You want it to come Mm -hmm. clean, clear, and also told with passion and commitment end
1: genuine and organic and i think you guys capture that very
3: well yeah i guess as well because when we're sat here talking to each other jeffrey look is looking at me and talking to me so of course we know that we're Uh talking to lots of people but we're genuinely having a conversation and he's he's telling me a story and i'm engaging with him in the way that we would if no one as you say was listening yes it's
2: the old secret of any great radio is that you're talking to one person. You're not talking to a room full of people. You're talking to one person, and that's what right. we think this that helps this podcast.
1: It does. It comes across amazing. And, and I I love your guys' relationship. It makes me want to do a podcast with my dad. Uh. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Lots of people say that, actually. And that I think one of the things people really like is hearing our interaction. And, you know, yeah, they get a real sense of kind of warmth and – Yeah, familiarity from that, and it's kind of comforting, I guess, to hear, because we're very close, and yeah, I think it's... But
2: but also, it's the material, Bob, is so dark sometimes that it's important that you bring the fact that there is life going on, and our relationship is important to that. And so it it dilutes the terrible darkness, because inevitably we're telling sometimes some really awful stories, Mm -hmm. which, of course, are true, like you want a sense that the listener believes, oh, yes, that's awful, but there's still real life. There's still joy. There's still hope. There's still relationships. I think that's the other ingredient that I'm very proud of.
1: Yeah. Molly, as you described the warmth and passion, compassion that you guys have, that's on a road. that's why my dad and I won't do a podcast. <laughs> so, we have, so, so we have, we. We are very similar. So, like, I, 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 and I think, I think Molly and I, you are probably pretty close to age and uh, the same age. And I think, Jeffrey, you and my dad are about the same age. I play cards with my dad and all his friends every Thursday night. And then Great. every Friday morning, I do breakfast with my dad every Friday morning. Uh, nice. and, and one of his friends. But, you know, we're not talking about true crime. Usually it's um, a, a thorough discussion and analysis of the card game that happened the night before. Yeah,
3: well, that's all right. (laughs) Yeah, also, I mean, interestingly, obviously, the podcast was my idea because I wanted more people to hear how great Jeffrey is around true crime. But he and I have lots and lots and lots of other things in common. So that's we could probably do a podcast about quite a lot of things if we put our minds to it. To be honest, but this we do. You
1: you know, it's funny because my dad and I too, we have a good, we have a very good rapport. But but the but (laughs) we're a little more rough rough necky, then, uh, let me, uh, let me give you a little example of how the, the rough household their families work. This, this past weekend was, was Easter and we had our big Easter dinner. There's 15 of us around the table and it's mostly everybody kind of picking on everyone else. But my dad, my dad is known for the one liner and throughout the dinner, uh, his sister, my aunt is telling a story to my niece who now works in a nursing home. She says, oh, I used to work in a nursing home. And then she starts telling the story about this wonderful man that used to come talk to the nurses every day. And one day he came out and he talked to the nurses and he was all friendly and he went back to his room. And we went back in there, followed him in there two minutes later, and there he was dead. Oh. And my aunt's very good at the awkward story. So we're all waiting for the the, the good part, the, the punchline, the whatever. Nope, that's the whole story. So... I immediately judged, sorry, I said "What the hell was that? That's the worst Easter story I've ever heard!" And my dad, without missing a beat, says, "Well, she didn't tell you what happened three days later." That's <laughs> it's a good line. That's
3: really funny. Very good line. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so that that's the, that's the kind of compassion you get out of my dad and yeah, I that's to do funny. A podcast <laughs> together. That's a good one. Um, so, did you have any trouble convincing dad to do the podcast?
3: No, no, no. <laughs> no any any <laughs> anything that's work he'll he's up for.'ll I'll turn up I yeah. promise you. I mean we I, do, I do
2: anything. I've always been very keen to keep busy and and do things I, so, mean, I it's what a joy to, to, to talk to the all, our podcast audience is a positive joy. you know they're delightful they write us extraordinary messages. they're very appreciative. What could be nicer? I mean what a privilege. I treasure it. I truly treasure it.
1: That's so amazing that you that you have such a passion for it. Now, do you guys ever get like? Are do you guys have you guys managed to get through podcasting without stirring up like trolls and mean people sending nasty messages? Or have you or have you just learned to deal we with? We just
3: don't listen. We just don't really. We don't really engage with. It. Do you know what? Generally, our listeners are so nice. I think maybe we've had like one or two. People will send some to say, it's like say a few things on the reviews and stuff, but we just don't read them. No. Yeah, but overall, right. our listeners are absolutely, Same. they're heaven. They're so nice. Yeah. They're really lovely. They're all so positive and kind.
1: Is that, uh, is that Betsy there on your lap?
3: Yes, this is Betsy.
1: Yeah. there's a, that, That's our creepy Erica fact for the week, that I know that your dog's name is Betsy, when you just picked her up on the board about her.
3: She's very much part of the podcast. She's in our artwork and all the listeners know her, and she's um, yeah. she 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 barks occasionally when she's got something to say. Yeah, but yeah, she's because she's always with me, so she's always yeah. she's always at the podcast.
2: We've done we've never done a dog napping story. Perhaps we, ha- we should. Maybe we should. <laughs> no.
3: I would. I don't well, think you... I could do one with an, any dog harm in it or animal harm. I don't like generally.
1: Yeah, you might upset Betty too.
2: Yeah, it probably would. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs>
1: She's so adorable and so well-behaved. So I'm a huge dog person. I've got three dogs. None of them could I bring into even into this building when I'm recording a podcast because there'd be if a leaf blew by, then they have to all bark at it and let me know that there's a leaf outside. They're never quiet or still.
3: Oh, yeah. She's very well-behaved. The only thing she sleeps all the way through the podcast and then about halfway through, she gets up and wanders over to dad's chair and she sort of is like, can you give me a stroke? And then the producer tells us <laughs> off because Dad goes off mic because yeah so he's not allowed he's to give for the his. dog yeah it's not allowed to anymore.
2: no I'm not allowed to do that no It got to stay on the mic
1: now this is a fa- even more of a family affair because isn't uh, Jeffrey your son Dan also does the music for the show right
2: Yep yep absolutely this is a complete family operation I promise you uh, yeah Dan composed the music and plays it which we've used from the very beginning and uh, lots of friends have helped and. It's 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 wonderful. I, I'm sorry. I, I am totally bewitched by it all. It is an immense privilege and an immense joy to do. It is. That's incredible. Who came up with the name Blood Ties?
3: I think that was actually devised uh, one evening in a in a pub <laughs> with some friends of mine. <laughs> uh, it was my friend Megan and her friends, and I was like, guys, we need a thing. We need a name. I remember what the other ones were now. Can Neither you? can I.
2: It's too long ago, Mo.
3: Blood ties. There was something to do with menus.
2: Yeah. yeah, Blood ties always sounded to us right. You know, it just felt right the moment we we said it. So.
3: Yeah.
2: And mm. it still feels right it today, for sure.
3: Yeah. So yeah. It just it just worked out. And then my friend George, who I went to school with, did our our artwork. That amazing, like, caricature of us. Um, yeah. So it all just fit together in the end, yeah. didn't it? But
2: Basically. it was Mo. Mo came. Well, Mo's friends came up with the idea. It, it wasn't me. That that title is not mine.
3: Um. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, so your guys' release schedule—you don't—you you don't continue all the time. You kind of do series and then take a break and then another another series. Is that right? How many, you've done like ten series so far?
3: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're a bit random. I don't think there's much pattern to it particularly. I mean, we tend to take break. We'll probably like. We tend to take breaks, you know, maybe at Christmas in the summer for a bit and around now, around Easter time, you know, like we'll Uh take take breaks a bit like school holidays kind of thing. But we record, we double record. So we record two episodes every other week so we can put one out every week.
1: And what Um, days do your podcast
2: release? Mondays. Yeah. We record on Saturdays before lunch.
3: Yeah, we record on Saturday and then we go to lunch. Then
2: we go to lunch. So we record and we go to lunch, which is a... where it grew out of you no know, having lunch together every saturday right sure
1: well that, uh, the, it was, well it's great i lo- i lo- i love the the relationship and the way you guys work together it's it just it's just it's just cool that that you guys have this beyond what the podcast has done and the audience and all that I, I i hope that when my kids get a little older that i have something like that to keep that bond going
2: i hope so too
3: yeah no it's it's really special we're very lucky
2: yeah, we're very lucky really so
1: we we got a case we're going to talk about today that you guys you guys picked out, and it is the case of Bible John. And I believe to uh, true to format, uh, Jeffrey, I'm going to let you tell us about the Bible John case.
2: Well, uh, Bob, if you come from the lowlands of Scotland, um, Bible John is probably the most famous unsolved serial killer case in Scotland. Uh, Bible John killed three women 1968 1969 and then disappeared in a puff of smoke he killed them all as a result of going to a famous glasgow ballroom called the barrowlands um which we're talking about 1968 um it was a very different era just the beginning of rock and roll in scotland young women would go uh, often to meet guys, of course, why not? But we're not talking about discos in that old fashioned, in the modern sense, we're talking about really quite an old fashioned scene. The girls would be wearing wide skirts, and the guys would be wearing that have dressed up specially in sharp suits, and they'd all, you know, be well turned out. But this particular killer, always known as Bible John, and I'll explain why in just a moment targeted women in the barrel ballroom and then attacked them and then stopped quite out of the blue and nobody knew why now it's one of the few occasions in scotland or indeed in the uk in which there's a very very good artist's impression of what bible john looked like he was quite tall he was six foot just maybe a bit over He was between 25 and 35. A number of the people who'd been with the victims, sister on one occasion, friend on another, remembered him. And yet no one ever caught him. And the reason it was called Bible John was that he had this habit, talking to the victims and their friends, of saying that dance halls were dens of iniquity uh, and condoned adultery,
3: well, they thought that the man could have been was someone who gave this
2: yeah. very it's prosaic. It's possible. but He was quoting um, the Bible. Yeah. He quoted the Bible a lot, mm. particularly the Old Testament. And uh, he was very, he was a teetotaler. He admitted that on a number of occasions. No one ever saw him drink. Uh, he took the women away sometimes with a friend and then they drop the friend off in a taxi and they go back to the home all the bodies were found very near to the victims homes mostly they'd been brutally attacked um, with blunt instruments some of them had been uh, sexually assaulted at least two maybe all three we're not it's never entirely clear about the third victim and by a strange and bizarre Element to this is each of the three victims were menstruating when they were killed. It's one of the most extraordinary elements of this story.
3: It's just such a it's such a strange case. Yeah, and if you speak to people from one of my clients is from Glasgow and and he was alive at the time and he's like you know oh my mum thought she was in the Barrowlands with Bible like everybody has a yeah. thing about him.
2: It's it's it, it, it's it's one of the most extraordinary he killed all the women he killed had children but they all separated from their husbands they
3: all look similar
2: they look very much assimil- the same exactly they usually brunette mm-hmm. not not very tall now why did he choose those specific victims why did he then lecture them about a dance hall is a den of iniquity it's condoning adultery why did he then choose to certainly to bludgeon them to death and on at least two and probably three rape them as well and then dump mm. them two of them pretty naked one with more clothes on in this extraordinary manner and then disappears it's it's a absolutely chilling and many in many ways extraordinary story um and there's been all sorts of attempts i mean we've had criminologists saying oh well it was definitely there's quite a famous glasgow based killer called peter tobin it, it, he's been discounted by the police on a number of occasions we've never mm-hmm. found any dna evidence we have no idea the speculation that it was a killer an edinburgh based killer called angus sinclair who was always known as the world's end killer because he picked up two girls outside a pub in Edinburgh in the old town in Edinburgh and which was called the World's End and took them away and killed them. Mm-hmm. Um and yet there's and yet and yet um it remains a, a vivid extraordinary compelling mystery. He killed the last time in 1969 and we're no nearer knowing now who it was than we were then. I was just going to say that it's so
1: strange that he just stopped you almost think he died or is in prison or something because typically someone especially with a specific signature that seems like it's probably a surrogate for someone there's someone yep when that he, that he's killing in his mind yes when he's attacking these young brunette single moms or that are, that are separated mm-hmm. from their spouses you know it, it's got all the markers of a serial killer that typically continue to escalate and then he just after the third one we never see it happen again It's weird
2: it is weird and as you know, the, the classic serial killer signature is they'll go on until they're stopped. But he stopped. Right. Out of the blue. And he, he well, that when he stopped, he would have been, well, let's presume the estimates of his age are correct. He would be, let's say he was 30. Oh, he'd be in his 80s now. Did he die? I've never thought he did. Quite a lot of people, particularly some of the police detectives, Wondered if he wasn't a policeman, whether Bible John wasn't actually a detective. Guys, I've always found that a fascinating theory. Yeah, it's
1: an interesting theory. It's But, man, it still doesn't explain why he stops. Usually people with that, you know, that have those kind of urges to do that can't control them. But, you, know, you, there's, you, you, you track serial killers all over the world in the years, and you see this you know, escalation period, a, a cool-off period in between – attacks yep. that get shorter and shorter and shorter as the as the you know as their inner demons seem to ramp up more and more and more you don't usually see this you know ramp up and then cool off and then
2: yeah but you you know satisfied as
1: well, my urge forever now
2: no but you know as well as i do bob there are certain particularly as a killer in los angeles who uh, stopped for 14 years he was a, a refuse collector you know dustbin man um and he mm-hmm. stopped for 14 years and went back to it um but there's been never been any sign of bible john back again never now did he go somewhere else and change his name and do something commit different crimes in a different way possibly but it it is it's well, mo chose the story because it it is a genuine and in in my view fascinating mystery a lot of people have had a go at trying to solve it but not in the 50 years have any of them managed to do it. And they they have some
1: DNA from the scene, right? Because didn't they clear um, a guy named John White from the bar? They cleared him through DNA testing?
2: Yeah, there have there, been a couple of... But really, it was so long before we had anything like DNA that whatever evidence there was, well, it's so degraded now that it's very difficult. I mean, if you talk about a case in the 80s, where DNA was just coming through and, you know, you got cleverer and cleverer dealing with that. But this is 1968, 69. There was Mm -hmm. the, the concept of trace or DNA or forensic evidence was really not very large. But the detectives, all credit to what was then Strathclyde Police, now Police Scotland, was that they did throw a lot of effort at it interviews, right. you know, they put they put plainclothes officers into Barrowland to see if they could spot. And one of the great ironies, the last killing, they'd taken the undercover officers out barely two weeks before the last victim. Now, I've always thought that that indicated perhaps it was a policeman, but what do I know? It
1: could be, and they certainly did. There was, there was no lack of effort here. I mean, they... No. Interviewed fifty thousand uh, witnesses yes. and yeah. interviewed over five thousand suspects. I've never seen a case where five thousand suspects were interviewed.
2: No, nor would you have I been mean, a case in which the last victim took a taxi with Bible John across Glasgow. So she was dropped off before he then went, uh, proceeded to kill the other woman in the cap, In the cab, it, I mean. It, But, of course, there's no CCTV in Barrowland in 1969. There's none of the things that we would depend on now. Any uh, case would depend on now. CCTV evidence would be incredibly important. We'd be tracing mobile phone masks. We'd be saying, oh, yeah, well, of course, it's none of that. We don't have any of that when it comes to this case. That's what makes it fascinating.
1: Yeah, it, it is a fascinating case, and and everything I've heard from you guys so far is just your your storytelling is incredible. I love I love Molly's interjections and how she's really asking the questions that we're all thinking about. Uh, for you listeners, you want to hear more about uh, about this case, you can check it out along with their. The, you have ten series that are that are out since twenty seventeen. Their names are Molly and Jeffrey Wansel, and the podcast is called Blood Ties. Check it out; it will be your next big true crime binge. Molly and Jeffrey, it has been a genuine pleasure to meet both of you and I I love the show, thank you for coming on and and I love what you guys are doing Thank you so much
3: Thank you so much